Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I speak to you in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. The power, the thrust of Jesus' words on the night that he was betrayed and crucified is bound up in teaching his disciples the necessity to be united with him, to rely on him and their trust and their belief. And one of the words he uses on this occasion that is a very powerful word is abide. Jesus tells his disciples that they must abide in him, abide in him. And it is absolutely essential that we understand the meaning of that word. The most common sense in which that word is used today tends to have something to do with instructions or regulations. So you hear someone say something like, he or she, they're an, a law-abiding citizen. Uh, or my teenager is trying to abide by the laws of the house. Or an animal, like a pet, a dog, abiding by their master's commands. And there is truth to this sense, but it's not the whole truth, and it doesn't get us close enough to the sense in which Jesus intends for his disciples to hear. What Jesus is saying here goes deeper than just follow or try to stay on the line. What Jesus is saying by abide is stay with me, remain with me, and not just with me, he says, in me, be with me, be sustained by me, endure by being in me. So it's not so much just trying to follow him, it's being in him and united in that way. We had a baptism at the nine o'clock service this morning, and it occurred to me that an infant, it was a young, it was a weeks old baby, that young girl is and will be abiding in the presence of her mother and father to an extent, but the mother in a more intimate way. The child abides with its mother for a season while it grows and strengthens, preparing to leave the nest someday. With Jesus, our abiding with him is to never end. It is to be an everlasting relationship, an everlasting unity. Abide in me, and I in you. And he goes on to explain what this looks like. But I think it's worth just pausing and marveling at the simple fact that we have an invitation before us and an opportunity to, in fact, abide in Christ. 
How different is this than the way in which we tend or are inclined or are tempted to live the Christian life? If you're not careful and if you're not paying attention, you can easily slip into the mindset that Christ is out there apart from me, I'm over here, he's over there, or back there 2,000 years ago, and from time to time I'm going to check in with him and try to draw some inspiration from his words and live it out. That's not abiding. That's following, trying to follow. It's not abiding. It is amazing that we have this opportunity before us to, and this call, he says, abide in me, and that this can be a reality for us now. That as a branch is affixed to the trunk of a tree, not just on Sundays, but every day, at all times, so are we to be with Christ. That's what he's after. That level of abiding relationship, which leads us to consider reasons as to why. Why? Because abiding in Christ in the first place makes us truly alive. And why is that? Well, the simple answer is because Jesus is the source of life. He's the source of of life. On many occasions, he can be found saying things such as, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Moreover, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You may be beginning to detect a pattern here with a theme to it. Anytime Jesus begins a statement or teaching with the two words, I am, you can pretty well rest assured it's going to have something to do with life. And not just life, but your life. Life that he offers you. And me. And there is no better illustration for this than what we've read in our gospel reading this morning, where he says here in the first verse of the 15th chapter of John's gospel, I am the true vine. Jesus is clearly drawing on the familiar image of a grape vine. And as I've proven on couple recent occasions that I am no botanist, I do know this. I know that the root system and the stem or the trunk is essential for giving life to the whole rest of the tree, vine, shrub, whatever it may be. That those parts called branches are entirely dependent on the root and the trunk for life. And that that life flows in one direction. And so it is with Christ. When he says, I am the true vine, he claims to be the source of that life. And we as disciples are then placed in a dependent relationship on him. So lest there be any confusion about our position in this divine image, Jesus says very clearly in verse 5, 
and you are the branches. I am the vine, and you are the branches. That makes Jesus the life giver, and we, his disciples, life receivers. Receivers of his life. Do you ever feel like you're missing something spiritually in the Christian walk? Do you ever feel like you're just, this truth is not hitting home or landing inwardly? It's common for us to succumb to the belief, the impression that we are the responsible ones for generating our life, our spiritual life. When nothing could be further from the truth, we cannot because we are not the source of life. We're receivers of his life. It's very clear, according to this illustration, we depend on him entirely. Now, there are two words of warning here in Jesus' teaching that we would do well to note and not just skip over, acting like they're not here. They appear in verses 2 and 6. Jesus says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he, the vine dresser, that is, God the Father, takes away. And then he reiterates it again in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Those are hard words. What are we to draw from them but that it is, in fact, very possible to be associated with Jesus, to be even connected to some extent, visibly associated with him through his church, all the while not abiding in him. Go outside and find any tree. Don't do this in the public garden. Those are very healthy trees, but pick any other tree in Boston. I tested this on my way down this morning. And look closely at that tree, and then look more closely at it. And what you will notice is that within every tree that appears to be alive and is, in fact, alive, there will be branches tucked within, buried within, that are without leaf. And all they have to show is brown. There's no green. It's brown. It looks brittle to the touch. And it's dead. Every tree has this. It is an awful reality that Jesus repeatedly warns of. Not just on this occasion, but on many others. Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That is, there will be people, Jesus says, that show up on the last day when I come again to judge the world, and these people will say, but Lord, we were connected to you. We did many mighty works in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We prophesied in your name. All of these things in your name. 
and Jesus will respond with those dreadful words, I never knew you. I never knew you. In other words, you did not abide in me, nor did I abide in you. The connection of life was, for one reason or another, cut off. Even though you appeared to, you didn't. The second word of warning is the result. God will remove these dead branches. For Jesus says, verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Will not be permitted to remain. It will be removed. And the imagery here used is very vivid and conjures up other scriptural imagery of judgment and suffering and separation from God and uselessness. God will separate the living from the dead. We confess a facet of this truth in the Nicene Creed every week when we say that he, Jesus, will come again to judge the living and the dead. That goes literally for the physically living and the dead as well as spiritually. But for those who abide, for those whose connection is alive and active and real, they are alive indeed. And they're not just alive, they're fruitful. They bear fruit. From the beginning of God's good creation, he has always intended for his creation to be fruitful. He said, even to the ground, he said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit, each according to its kind. And we can look around and see that the plants and the trees and the shrubs got this message loud and clear because they indeed do bear fruit according to their kind. God also told Adam and Eve to be fruitful. Now, one of the senses of meaning there is to multiply. And we've done this fairly well over the earth. But he didn't stop there. That word goes farther. It doesn't mean mere multiplication. It means to bear the fruits of righteousness the fruits of the Holy Spirit of God in and through our lives. And in case we need a reminder of what those are, Paul sums this up pretty well for us in his letter to the Galatians. The fruits of the Spirit are this, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are fruits of the Spirit. Those are the fruits that God intends and is seeking in our lives. In contrast, and there is a contrast, the fruits of the flesh are opposite. And these come quite easily to us, apart from God, in our fallen nature and condition. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness. Fruits of the flesh. The fruits of the Spirit are gifts. We don't naturally produce these things, and for that matter, you can't fake it. You can't produce these things on your own. Jesus says that, apart from me, you can do nothing. You may be able to put some ornaments on your life or some artificial fruit, like on a Christmas tree, but it's not real. It's not alive. It's made to mimic and look like the fruits of the Spirit, when in actual fact, it's not. Now, let me offer a helpful reminder and perhaps a corrective here. The fruits of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience kind, that kind of fruit, is not the basis for our salvation. And what do I mean by that? What that means is that we never will come to a point where we are called upon to pile up all of our good fruit and put it in the balance and hope for dear life that it will outweigh the bad fruit and tilt in our favor. The fruits of the Spirit are not the grounds on which we are to be saved, redeemed. Rather, the fruits of the Spirit are the evidence of our salvation. They're not the basis of our salvation, but they are the evidence of our salvation. In other words, they are the evidence that we are abiding to any degree. Maybe you have small fruit in your life. There's a little bit of abiding there. Much fruit, lots of abiding. We must not get this wrong. The fruits of the Spirit are evidence that we are in Christ. And the way in which we are in Christ is by faith. Fruit follows faith. It doesn't precede it. We must not get this out of order. Doing must not precede believing. It begins with faith. It begins by abiding in trust in Christ. And by this, in this way, Jesus says, his Father is glorified. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So abiding in Christ is the reason we're alive. Abiding in Christ produces the fruits in our lives. And lastly, abiding in Christ ultimately glorifies God. And what could be greater? As one catechism puts it, the first question is this, what is the chief end of man? And the response goes, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 
I think we're on the same page with this. Every week when we gather, we sing the Gloria. Glory be to God on high, and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. Glory be to God on high. We're all about God's glory. Has it ever struck you that the way in which God is glorified most in his creation, beyond the stars and the sun and the moon and anything else that's been made, is by the fruit that is produced in your life by abiding in Christ? You and I have the potential to glorify God more than the sun in the sky because we're the pinnacle of his creation and that's what he's after all the rest of creation understand their marching orders we're working on it it's about God's glory disciples seek God's glory disciples want God to be glorified above anything else and with those words I'll end with these words. May we as his disciples abide in Christ and so fulfill the words, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.